Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Happy March Madness and happy St. Patrick's Day, Doug. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I personally don't care about St. Patrick's Day at all, but I, I do care about March Madness. I always enjoy watching the basketball. Even even though I, in fairness, don't care about college basketball at all, I do enjoy the tournament. Oh, it's just fun. It's good times. And you know what, Doug? has a has an NMA tie-in because when I first went vegetarian and first, I think I had not yet written a No Meat Athlete article. Maybe this was the week between I when I decided to be vegetarian and when I said I'm actually going to publish a No Meat Athlete article and begin this, um, was the NCAA tournament. And I remember going out to a bar for the first time and everyone eating chicken wings. And I this was like the first time I resisted and didn't. Because I thought about it before, like wanting to just not eat meat anymore. But when it would come to a moment like that where it was like college basketball tournament and wings, and I just couldn't do it. Couldn't couldn't say no. But uh, this I remember this this particular time I finally said no. Unknowingly ordered a non-vegan Guinness because I had no idea back then that it contained <laughs> fish bladders. But uh, I I got which we buffalo. should note that I don't think it does anymore. Right. Right. I'm always afraid to tell people like go get it. Guinness is vegan now, but I have I've looked it up for my own for my own purposes, and and it appears that it is. So uh, yes, that's true. And I got some got some French fries and buffalo wing sauce and dipped them in the wing sauce, which had butter in it. But I wasn't vegan. I was just trying to be vegetarian then. So anyway, uh, special special time for me. Reminds me of uh, the beginning. <laughs> That's good. So that, how long ago was that? That was nine years ago. Nine years ago. Happy nine-year vegetarian anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. It's a special special one. That's pretty big. We should do something for your 10-year. <laughs> My 10-year? Yeah, okay. Well, not for your 10-year vegetarian anniversary, but that would be also be the 10-year anniversary of an no athlete. Yes, we should do something for that. Some sort of hoopla. A mega hoopla um <laughs> yeah. well that uh, that's good i uh i actually forgot that the tournament was going on and then yesterday somebody mentioned it and, well, i thought you were uh, all home alone i thought you were bachelor pad style i like the, i uh, have been bachelor pad style but for some reason i haven't been watching any sports other than a little bit of disc golf <laughs> there you go you can watch, oh what i'm watching on youtube yeah yeah there you go um yeah. no i uh yeah, so I, I've been home alone for the past, or I am not anymore, but I was home alone for five days, which is the longest I've been home alone, really the only time I've been home alone in the last 15 months. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. I mean, that, it, that's because with the, with the context of a, of a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Katie and uh, Katie and Eliza went up to Rhode Island to visit her family, and, um, and then they got stuck because there was a big snowstorm that came in, so they had ah. to stay a couple extra days. Sure, you hated that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I miss them very much, man. I miss them very much. No, no. it's about nothing wrong with appreciating alone time. You can you can both love your family and love alone time. Yes, I I, I did. I, I ran a lot and uh, I went to a bar for the first time by myself for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And uh, you know, I, it's funny. I actually feel less rested than I thought. I was just going to be like super rested when I got home, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm kind of not. I don't know if it was the time change or just staying up later than normal yeah or what but i it wasn't a restful time i do the same thing i stay up very late when i'm up myself mm-hmm. it's just like i don't know you fall you fall into the family routine of going to bed early and right then, and then i always i always think that i've changed permanently because i'm on this new schedule and then as soon as i'm alone until 1 a.m <laughs> yeah, doing nothing that's... like just yeah. 
That's yeah. exactly what happened to me. Yeah. It's like, this This is the real me, huh? You, you want to go to bed really late and sleep in? Right. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. It's like you have that option and, and then you, you you feel guilty not taking it or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's good. That's, that's, it's good to have, have a little alone time and, uh, I'm glad that you're glad that you've enjoyed it. But yeah, not, you're not you're not on it now, right? I mean, no, no. I've, but I got home uh, Wednesday, so okay. back on Good. the old uh, the old routine. Going to bed early, waking up early. Yep. There you go. Back to the grind. Back to the grind. Working hard. <laughs> yes. Good. All right. Well, uh, we're doing Q and A today. Q and A episode number double digits yet? I don't think we're at double digits, but. It's been a long know. time since we did one. It has been. Well, yeah. actually, I don't know. Here, I'll tell you what what it is because there. Are, this is the great Q and A episode. Mm-hmm. Number, number six. Number six. Okay, good. So I, we've slowed down on them. We did them a lot um, in the earlier days of this podcast, and actually, they've always been some of our most popular episodes, which is kind of surprising to me because I just am always surprised that people. Uh, are chomping at the bit to download something called Q and A episode when it doesn't say like what the questions are, but people like them, so uh, they're fun to do and uh, a good way for us to answer questions that are that are coming into the one eight hundred flowers dot com inbox on a daily basis. <laughs> you have to be a long time listener to get that joke, I think. <laughs> or the Subway Fresh Take Hotline is my. <laughs> you know, uh, this is episode two hundred and twenty six. I'm pretty proud of us. Yeah, me too. That that is it's sticking at something for a long time. Yeah, which we don't always do. <laughs> we don't. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah, it really is. That's a lot of hours too of time. Uh, yeah, Total hours of time have gone into this is is a lot. Two hundred. If, you, if you've listened to every episode, then you have listened to us talk a lot. Yeah, that's true. And I think some people have. I think some people do that with podcasts, which is which has always been one of the cool things about podcasts. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I I. I do have a sense that it is changing. This podcast is becoming so mainstream now that there's so many now, and I don't know. I think you, it's it's hard. I think it's a little bit harder to listen to all the podcasts you want, obviously, because there are more of them. And I just wonder if eventually so much crowding will, will make it, yeah, just different. I don't know that people will only give a little bit of attention to lots of podcasts instead yeah. of a, a lot to a few. But who knows? Well, we have to stand out of the crowd. I guess stand so. out in so. the crowd. I guess so. That's what do, we're doing. do your kids listen to podcasts? No, they've listened to like occasional random ones for whatever reason. I don't know if there's something that school recommends or something that they listen to an episode of, but they don't they don't have any that they stay with. I recently learned about this whole genre of kid podcasts. Oh yeah? Yeah. Sounds, sounds pretty good. cool. I think I mean it's too too that's old not, for that's a lot what of you did on your uh, on your alone time, is it? <laughs> yeah, just listen just... listen to <laughs> binge binge listen to uh, kids podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's good as long as you as long as you can parentally monitor it. Because right, podcasts. The reason podcasts are good is that level of intimacy. I think and getting in someone's head and mm. like their quiet yeah. time, and you're in, you're on the run with them or on the commute. So I would imagine it's it's a medium where there's the potential for influencing someone is pretty strong. Yeah, uh, especially a child who just lets their defenses down. That's a good but point. A lot of a lot of media are that way anyway. So yeah. Anyway, okay. Questions and answers. Uh, let's start, Doug, with the running questions, since those are at the top of our list. Okay. Uh, number one from Sonny, who says, uh, Hey, Matt, I'm still loving the content of No Made Athlete and have a pile of recent emails waiting to be read in my inbox, plus I listen to the podcast avidly. All right, so first, let me just interrupt here, Sonny. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think it's crazy you listen to podcasts avidly, and, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, be careful with a pile of email, emails to me, because whenever I get a pile of emails from a, from a brand that I'm kind of into, as soon as I get that pile, I'm ready to be done. I'm, I, that, like, I'm a week away from punting entirely and saying, well, this is too much, too much content. I just can't keep up, and then you're done. So get through those emails. Give them, give them a quick read. Don't let them pile up, because if they do, then I think that's it's the beginning of the end. What would you say if if you have a pile? Would you say just scrap them and start fresh? Yeah, I think that's the best strategy. Yeah, uh-huh. I think you you'll eventually get the gist of the message. There's a fear of missing out at play. I do the same thing, and I and I just pile them away, and eventually I'll start putting them in a folder instead of sitting in my main inbox. <laughs> or my favorite is the the Safari browser pins, which I've learned is not which is supposed to, not how you're supposed to use those things. But uh, anyway, so I, yeah, I'll, get, I'll stockpile them somewhere, and then eventually I'll just delete them on. But anyway, I think I think the best strategy is just you know just let them go. Is that just, the same thing you do with my emails? Well, more or less. But I mean, I <laughs> I get to them. Okay, yeah, right. you do. So anyway, on to Tony's question. The rest of it. Uh, seeing as you ask, I've recently found myself running much slower than I used to, and I also don't seem to be improving as quickly as others I follow. Would love to hear you guys chat about how much to push yourself during training, comparing yourself to others. Uh, you just got Strava. And why you might get worse for a while, if that's a thing. Hope that makes sense. Just an idea. Um, and, and she recommends anime to everyone. So that's really cool. So thank you, Sonny, for, for that. And uh, let's see, Doug. So, so the question really boils down to, uh, I guess, how hard should you push yourself? And is, I don't know, is, is there something to the idea that you get slower before you get faster? are the main thing. But then she also talks about comparing yourself to others and things like that. So, um, you know, very large question that's not super specific, which is kind of good. Makes for it makes for a nice discussion, I think. Um, I guess on the specific level first, which maybe is not the best way to, to start, I do think that is quite possible. That's true with a lot of things, right? Like uh, if you're if you're trying to to fix your golf swing or, or make you know improve your golf swing, it kind of requires taking it apart first and then you're terrible for a month and then eventually you you learn this new better way and and you do it same with you know whatever playing guitar or play i mean you try to when you try to really not just make a incremental surface level improvement but actually go change some something that's fundamental about it mm-hmm. uh it it seems to usually imply that you will be worse for a while um with running the only time i noticed that happening with running really is when i adopted the 180 steps per minute thing or the three steps per second that I still think is probably the single best form change someone can make if you're not currently doing that. If specifically if you're running at, at a slower turnover rate than that, uh, you know, like 150 or 160 per second or per minute. Uh, and when I did that, that made me way slower, and I just felt like I just felt way more tired doing a mile at the same speed or even at a slower speed than than I was used to. And I, you know, you just have to stick with it. And I think it probably makes total sense that you're that you're now, you know. Um, that you're exercising different muscles and and not just the muscles but the whole you know brain connection to the muscles and you're just relearning how to run in, in a small sense uh so th- so i think it totally makes sense that that would take a month or two to get used to and then find yourself better as a result which is what happened to me but i don't know are, are you think are there other examples doug you've worked with a bunch of clients i mean do you see that is that, is that a known thing that you get worse before you get better yeah well i mean i think it can be um well, the where I the way or where I see it the most is when someone is ramping up their training for the first time, or they have been in a lull for a while, and then they get it, you know, into a deep 
training plan. And that increase in mileage, that increase in, in time of running um, results in, you know, breaking down muscles and, and making them stronger, of course, but also making you a little bit tired. So uh, you might be feeling less fresh and uh, you, your muscles might not be firing at the same in the same way that they would if you were just running a couple times a week and, and just kind of doing it for fun. So um, you might get a little bit slower because of that. But when you get slower and, and, and you hit that dip, you know, the point is to stay injury free and kind of come out of it a lot stronger than when, than how you went into it. So I do see that a little bit, but um, if it's prolonged, then then there might be something going on, and you'd wanna you'd wanna look into that. So it uh, that's actually a little bit surprising to me. I'm just wondering, like, I would I would have thought that if you're feeling at all not as fresh or not as tired, then you should rest more before coming back to your next workout. Do you think that is a, a fallacy? No, I, I, well, I think you should. So, I mean, but, but so yeah, you don't want to have like all these back-to-back really long hard, hard workouts. Um, and because you're not going to be as fresh and the workouts won't be as fruitful as if you were coming in with fresh legs. But if you are, you know, coming in, coming off of like a month of, of low mileage, low intensity, and then jumping into a training plan where you are kind of revving up and doing speed workouts for the first time, doing, um, you know, long runs for the first time in a while, like it's just going to take your body a little bit of time to adjust to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So uh, that doesn't mean that you're, you know, having hard workouts back to back to back to back. You should be having rest days and you should be having easy days in there as well, as well. But you might not be fully recovered going into a, a workout because you just are coming off of a, of a, you know, a rest period. Yeah. Um, and now you're kind of ramping up intensity. So your body has to adjust. Makes does sense. that make sense? Yes, it does. And that actually, that leads a little bit into Sonny's next part of her question, which is uh, how much to push yourself during training. And I think that's that's important because we don't know what uh, what you were doing, Sonny, specifically, but it's quite possible that if you're pushing yourself too hard uh, and you're not allowing adequate time for recovery, or if you're not doing a good job of, of balancing the hard and the easy days, and, and you're just kind of doing everything mm-hmm. at this single pace, um, you know, then, then in that case, you're not going to improve as quickly as someone who is identical to you, but, you know, doing hard days followed by easy days, right? If you're just doing the right. same thing all the time, even if it's this same, like, like just, just to put percentages on it, let's say someone's doing 100%, and these, these are not accurate, but someone's doing 100% one day and 50% the next day, and they just keep alternating that. If you're doing 80%, so you're in, you're higher than, than the average of those two, but you're just doing that 80% every single day, you're not going to do as well as that person. And this is, of course, is a very general example, but there's so much power in that in that stress and adaptation cycle compared to just doing the same thing every day. Um, that is neither neither all that hard or all that easy. So I, I think that's you know like it it might feel almost like you're pushing yourself harder by doing that eighty percent all the time uh, than the person who's taking a rest day every other day. Um, so it's not so much pushing yourself hard it's just it's just pushing yourself hard on those specific days and then making sure they're balanced by really easy days so yeah that's yeah i mean I, you know so it's not it's not how much you push yourself it's it's doing it in an intelligent way doing it in an intelligent way and and actually pushing yourself you know because i think that a lot of people just don't ever think to do a hard workout mm-hmm. you know they're always running even if it's not at the 80% they're always running at the 60% you know uh-huh. at this kind of easy comfortable pace which might be really comfortable and enjoyable for them, but isn't going to get you a whole lot faster. Um, yeah. And and so 
you know, I, I, I believe with any distance, and this includes ultra running, it includes anything that if you want to get faster, you have to have days where you really are pushing yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And the final part of this one, um, comparing yourself to others. What, uh, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to find any benefits in comparing yourself to others. <laughs> no. <laughs> I really Strava is, is perfect. It's <laughs> like, you just, all you should do is look at other people's times and make sure that you're beating them. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's the truth. I have nothing better, no, no better advice than that. No, no, you should never compare yourself to others. And it's so hard to do when you're in a running club or when your friends are on Strava or, or whatever. It's like so hard to do that. But you're never going to serve yourself by comparing yourself to someone else. I mean, it's, sometimes it's good to to run with people who are better than you and they can kind of push you on those harder days. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but that's not a, that's not an excuse to compare yourself to them. That's just using the tools or us, using someone to help kind of guide you and push you a little bit right? right and and the same thing goes on race day and this is this is where people really get into trouble is they start at the at the you know they the gun goes off they start running and they they see what everybody else is doing everybody else is running too hard everybody else is um pushing themselves more than than you think you should but you think um but you're watching other people do it and so then you're like well maybe i should do that as well or like yeah. running up hard up hills or you know, my favorite is, and I do this all the time, I, I look at other runners and I'm like, well, they kind of look like me and, you know, they, they kind of look like my ability, um, so I should probably do what they do. And uh, you have no idea how they're training. You have no idea what they're capable of. Uh, and so to compare yourself to others is just going to do nothing but get you in trouble. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good point, and it's one that is hard to, hard to get in your body until you have, have suffered as a result of it. <laughs> like picking out someone who you just need to beat uh, in a marathon or half marathon, right? <laughs> right. Someone who's just had, who, like you said, he kind of looks like you or she kind of looks like you and you know nothing else about them other than that they're sort of at the same spot as you are right now. Right. And and, and then deciding for some reason that they are, you know, you're now, you've marked them as like someone you must stay with or beat or whatever. And just, <laughs> you're right. There's no, there's no reason to do that at all. And you don't know their experience or how, how dumb they are honestly how dumb they're being right like right it might be that (laughs) they're in worse shape than you and they're just they have no they know even less than you and they're just going out way way too fast and they're going to really suffer later uh so you don't want to jump on that train obviously or the worst is when you when you see someone who (laughs) who you feel like you should definitely beat you know (laughs) like not that they look like you but you're like well man i I should definitely beat that person they're like in a in a cotton t-shirt and yeah right right. beat up old running shoes they don't look like they've ever run a a a day in their life and uh and then and then they just smoke you because you try to keep up yeah and that's another thing about running is there is a genetic component to running that that you know the outside appearance does not necessarily reflect i mean it can and the person who's genetically gifted as a runner i think by and large will you know tend to be into running and as a result their their fitness and body will improve and they'll look like a runner but you know there are people who don't look like they can run who who can just who can just outrun you just like there are people who can do the same with swimming and whatever else because it's true sure. there's it's, i guess swimming i would think is more of a skill component that is responsible for that but uh surely surely some genetics too obviously Anyway, all right. Um, but on. I will say one more thing about running is that actually two more things. One more thing is that running is such a not unique because there are others, but it is it is in a class with just a few others of, of such a great sport that you can do without caring one bit what other people are doing, right? Like in team mm. sports, you can't do that. You have to you've got to 
of course, know your place on the team and how you compare to some other team. And, you know, you're trying to beat another team. Uh, individual sports like tennis, you know, you can't really play that by yourself, even though it's an individual sport. Um, and there aren't that many. Golf is one, like running, where you can just do it yourself and just play to improve your score. And, you know, um, you know, you're, and we're, so your score is your opponent or, or your yourself as your opponent and that's how running is right you, you can race against the clock or your personal longest distance or whatever uh i think that's such a, a very very special thing about running so uh i don't like to see when it when it gets about comparing yourself to others in running it just it just takes away from a lot of the good part mm-hmm. of it now i know there's a whole other side of running that is totally about that right competitive running where you are against other people and, and that's different but that's something that i've never myself really been involved in mm-hmm. um even golf the you know the whole system is set up with pars that that's supposed to be the average right that's true so yeah i guess you kind of are comparing yourself even when you when you talk in terms of par par is not average i mean par is the best of anyone that you know if they shoot par then they're right right you'd ask why are they not pursuing a professional career in golf (laughs) (laughs) sure but in theory right in in some sort of theory yeah it's like an i it's an idealistic sort of Mm -hmm. normal um i will say though even though like with running we're saying we shouldn't compare yourself to others and strava and all that um with social media and Facebook and things like that, it is actually good to see what other people are doing and then decide that that uh, you should have that life as well and that, that they're posting in a 100% accurate view of their life and they're not just picking out the good stuff. And you basically should compare yourself to everyone else on social media and try to do what they're doing. You should do social media in general. It's just a good thing to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> good. All right. Just, just, just coming from the person here. I, I probably has all the social media accounts, but <laughs> never touches them. I don't know. I have they're, they're brand accounts now. I don't have personal. I, the only personal ones I have, well, I have a personal Facebook that uh-huh. I will use about once every three months or so. You have a personal chess.com account. That's true. And a personal FIFA Ultimate Team account. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Those aren't really so. I guess they probably have social media components that I don't use, but. Anyway, no. Social media is the pits. I mean, it's great, but it's also the pits. Yeah, exactly. Never trust what anybody posts on social. <laughs> no, no, don't. Okay, next one. Um, Doug, I don't know how to pronounce this name. Do you? J O A with a tilde over it. O. I think that's a Portuguese name, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was gonna say it's probably Brazilian or Portuguese. Yeah, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, no. Nope. Joao would be my terrible attempt. Um, Fernandez says, I'm loving these, those emails. I have a question, a common one, I guess. When choosing a shoe size, should we choose the exact size or plus one centimeter? So this is a good question. It's not that common one. It's one that a lot of people don't really think about. Um, he says plus one centimeter, and I'm, I'm guessing maybe that metric reference is uh, <laughs> unique to, not, not, again, not unique, but... Uh, one that is different from the way we do shoes in in the U.S., right, Doug? We don't we don't have centimeters with shoes, right? Uh, well, a lot of shoes will have the centimeter size on there. Oh, really? I think so. That European size that's like forty. Yeah, that's centimeters, right? Oh, that never occurred to me. I don't know that that's true. That's what I've always assumed. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like, should you go a half size up? Basically, I think is what. Right. What the question is? Yes. So. um... This is a good question. I think it is definitely good to be thinking about that. And mm-hmm. I think it's, unfortunately, it's not quite as simple as just like take your normal shoe size and go a half size up. Right. Uh, 
it's really about going and trying on shoes and almost you don't even need to pay attention to the number, right? The number gives you a starting place for what shoe to try on first. But then what, so I, there are a few different approaches, I guess. It probably depends on what type of running you're doing. For longer distance endurance type running, uh, what I've heard from Stu Middleman, who was the, the ultra runner before ultra running was cool at all. And he was the guy who did like, I don't know, 1,100 miles in, in 10 days or 800 miles in 11 days, some kind of crazy thing where he was running nearly 100 for, for a bunch of days in a row. And it's like walking. It's walking and running and very slow. And it's just a different type of ultra running even than what is popular now. But his approach, uh, among a lot of other kind of wacky approaches to things, is keep going up in shoe sizes until it feels ridiculously large. And as soon as it does, like clown shoe large, go back a half size and that's and that's where you should be which that leaves you with a ton of room in your in your in the toe box and that's the point uh, I think that's probably too much I don't think no uh, well, I shouldn't say that I think it's because he probably knows right he's, he's running all that distance um, I just think it seems scary to do that right mm-hmm. I'd just be worried that I would do something else wrong uh, so what I've done is just kind of do the opposite, right? Like find something that fits and then go a half or a size bigger than that. So that it's not ridiculous, but it's like pushing it. Yeah. Do we need to do that though? Like do, I mean, as, as the shoe companies like ultra specifically have kind of caught on to this and start to make their toe boxes bigger. Uh, do you think that's still so important, Doug? Uh, I think, I think it depends on the shoe. I, that, that raises a very good question. So the, the reason you would do that, right. Is because your feet will swell over the longer distance. And uh, and you'll need the bigger toe box. And then you need the bigger. Shoe. I that's, I didn't know that was the reason. I figured the reason was if you were to run without shoes, if you were to run barefoot, and we kind of tend to take cues from that as far as what our form should be and what how things should look. Your toes tend to spread out, and you use them for balance and other things. And so, like rather than cram them in, which is responsible supposedly for all these different foot injuries. Uh, and if you look at injury rates of of countries where they don't wear shoes and where they do, not just Indian, but like. Uh, not just injuries, but bunions and all these other little like foot-specific things. Apparently, they're much, much higher in cultures where they don't have open-toed shoes, usually. So anyway, I thought it was more uh, so that your toes will just do what they naturally want to do, which is spread out. But the swelling thing would. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's the reason. It might be, um, but that's not what I understand. Because okay. there are so many shoes now where if it fits right, then uh, there should be plenty of room for your toes to spread out. Okay. Um, properly you know if there's a if there's a wide enough toe box large enough toe box then there should be plenty of room for you to do that so if it fits right then when you slide it in there should you shouldn't uh-huh you should be okay. able to do that but uh, but as your foot swells and as it you know it uh, gets larger actually physically larger uh, throughout your run then that room will shrink and uh, the available room will shrink and then it will kind of your toes will hit the front of the of the toe box your your feet will kind of get crammed in more um and and you'll be running into those types of, of blister and swelling problems. Interesting. So I think it was you, Doug, maybe I'm wrong, who told me this about running, that when you're on your feet for a long time, uh, you actually get a little bit shorter because your arch, the arch of your foot collapses over time, and that's what lengthens your foot. So that is not a swelling but a lengthening of your foot, and then as a result you actually lose some quarter inch or whatever of height. Is that, yeah, the, same, you're, you're, is that the same you're, thing? Your feet will actually get a little bit flatter, right? Right. Because you'll you'll be losing that arch, and yeah, that it's the same thing. Um, but you know, but then the swelling is the more immediate thing. I mean, you can 
my feet get so swollen after like a 50k Mm -hmm. you can see i can feel how they fit differently within the shoe Hmm. um but yeah so it's it's kind of of a combination between the two and and you just want to allow for that extra room and that extra kind of growth uh of your foot Mm -hmm. (laughs) um throughout your run so i i definitely uh tend to go a half size bigger um I, i tend to be a little bit more liberal with the with the shoe size on, on a shoe that I'm, I know I'm going to be racing and running long distances in. Um, but, the, you know, going up to that kind of goofy clown size shoe uh, is is a little scary for me for, for a number of reasons, you know, just because of where the arch and the shoe will kind of fit on your foot. And then also uh, having too much room, you know, you'll kind of move around a little bit too much, even if you cinch it down really tight. Mm-hmm. So as you're going downhills, and then also like tripping over things like that. that yeah, kind of that's what I was going to mention. My wife Erin has fallen several times with running, and it has only been since she started wearing ultras that she's had like three or four falls that get her all cut up. Huh. And uh, I love ultras, and I always encourage people to get them. But I, I always wonder if if something about them being a little bit larger, and and they actually encourage you, I think, to choose a size bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've always wondered if that was the reason, but. Anyway, so yeah, falling is uh, is something to be aware of, as well as the other things you mentioned. Yeah, uh, so you just you just want it to be comfortable, and you, but you want to make sure you have plenty of, of room in there. And, you know, I mean, there are so many options now. There's shoe companies that go kind of the opposite direction, where you're just, they're just gloves on your foot, and they just, there's no room. And, you know, they, they do that on purpose, you know, so your foot really isn't moving within, inside the shoe at all. Um, and then there's, you know, shoes that are kind of having having this, foot shape or wider toe box and, um, you know, allowing for lots of room in there. So you do what's comfortable, try on much shoes. Uh, but you know, but, but be mindful of the fact that your foot might swell. It might get a little bigger, uh, within the shoe and, um, and you know, and, and you don't want to, you don't want it to be an issue if, if it does get a little bit larger, you don't want to have to be, you don't want your toes to be touching the top of your, of your shoe. Yeah. Very good. So that is, I actually learned something here, Doug. I, I think I would have suggested that if you just make sure there's plenty of room for your toes to spread out and that they're not hitting the end of the shoe, then you're fine. As long as, you know, they go as far. But but the consideration that your foot will actually get longer when you were running means that you shouldn't just make sure it is big enough. You actually need to make sure it's big enough and then you need to add a little bit of extra room in there mm-hmm. for for that. So that is that's a good point. And I and I actually, you know, and and I am able to have multiple pairs of shoes, so that's great. And I know some people aren't, but um, you know, I have a I have a pair of shoe that fits perfectly, like I w- like a shoe that I would wear, you know, walking around day to day, like that type of size. Mm-hmm. I would say called the called the perfect fit. I, then that's what I use for a lot of my shorter runs. So if I'm running for an hour or, or less, or you know, somewhere around there, then I'll, I'll wear those because they just fit really comfortably. But then if I'm running a longer distance, or if I'm racing or something like that, then I'll wear the. A, a shoe that's a half size bigger uh, just to allow for that extra room good all right there we go complete answer to joao's question <laughs> i'm not laughing at his name i'm just trying to i know i'm, I'm laughing at you trying to pronounce spanish the name. knowledge to, to do portuguese pronunciation <laughs> except i don't know what that tilde means <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. so i'm just doing it as if it was j-o-a-o and it was spanish then that's how i would say it all right, moving on. Um, this then one it would be like Hoao. Not Joao. You're right. You're right. Then it would be Hoao. I want to know. I do too. If only there you was should call into our winning hundreds hotline. 
and let us know how to pronounce right. the name. I think you can actually Google things like that and get pronunciations now online with multimedia. Oh. Uh, the internet. That's the internet. Oh, jeez. It's about to get really loud. Oh, Trash no. man's coming to pick up a tree that... Well, you can mute while I answer, I guess. Okay. All right. So this one is from Jackie. Uh, she says, I have a question. So I used to eat a bowl of oatmeal and with 15 minutes, I guess within 15 minutes, be out the door for a three to four mile run. But after reading your article, I found that I was counterproductive. I read that... I read that you said that eating a date before you go out the door is better. So my question is, can I do a prune instead? Not a fan of dates. Or no, just choke it down. Okay. Uh, good question, Jackie. And we will let Doug weigh in a little bit once his, once his trash man is done. Uh, so I think here's, here's the problem. I don't know exactly what you mean when you say counterproductive. Uh, I think you probably are just saying that, that when you're running 15 minutes after you're eating, you're finding that it's hard. And it's not, it seems that whatever you're eating isn't working. So I'm going to take that as what you mean uh, and answer it that way. Um, so the answer for prunes, I actually didn't know the, the difference between prunes and dates. I mean, I know that they were different. I didn't know what nutritional difference there was. So I looked this up and uh, looking at it, it looks like prunes actually wouldn't be such a great substitute for dates. Dates are something I recommend because they're high in glucose and, and that gets very quickly into your muscles. Uh, some say, you know, begins absorbing in your mouth. Uh, under your under your tongue, actually, which is the subject of another question we'll be answering in a minute. Um, and they're you know they they're small. They fit a lot of energy into a small space, a lot of calories into a small space. So they're kind of I always say like nature's energy gel, uh, with the exception of the fact that they have fiber with them, which makes them less than ideal for really long events like like six plus hour events when that fiber might start to accumulate in your gut. Um, but for shorter than that, they're they're really really great, a nice natural energy source. That happens to also be solid food. Uh, prunes, though, according to the internet, this is from Erin Nudie, N-U-D-I.com. Um, she says that, that the difference is prunes uh, are low in calories compared to dates being high in calories. Uh, prunes are not as sweet as dates, which might be exactly the same as low in calories. Just packing lower sugar would, would make them less sweet and result in fewer calories and have high levels of minerals and antioxidants. So the minerals and antioxidants is kind of interesting. I think that uh, that wouldn't hurt you for running. I mean, I guess in some way, maybe maybe that'd be a nice electrolyte source. If you were thinking you weren't getting enough electrolytes from your dates and whatever else you were eating, then you could you could swap in a prune maybe every three or four dates, and then you get, get some more electrolytes. I don't know that for a fact. You'd have to look it up and make sure. Um, but anyway, it sounds like prunes are not the same as dates. They're not going to pack you the, the calories and sugar that you would be using the dates for. So I would not just go to prunes. Uh, however, it doesn't mean that dates are your only option. Uh, you mentioned eating oatmeal and eating something starchy and complex like the carbohydrates in oatmeal uh, in 15 minutes, that's not going to do anything for you at all. It'll fill your stomach up. And to some people, that that comfort of having a full stomach would you know, help them feel somewhat happier and more comfortable while they're running. Uh, Alternatively, it could it could feel bad to have that much food in your stomach while you're running, and could cause you know nausea or whatever else. Um, so I would just suggest if you don't like dates, like just swap it with something else. You could do fruit juice would be the most obvious choice I would think of, assuming you're not going to you know do energy gels or something like that. I, I even though I'm not a fan of juicing in general as an everyday habit, um, I do think as far as like a running fuel thing, it's it's not a bad idea and probably better than energy gels, which are you know even more processed much more processed, in fact, than, than simply juicing something. Uh, so anyway, the point is liquid will get into your system much faster. That, that carbohydrate will be available for you to use during your run. Um, 
than solid food. So fruit juice is a good choice. Uh, I mean, you, you could try other fruits. You could try smoothies. The smoothie is going to be easier than other fruit as far as getting into your system quickly, but it might slosh around in your stomach. So I would just experiment with those types of things. Um, I would also ask if it's a three to four mile run, depending on how hard you're doing it, and maybe you listen to our um, earlier answer to Sonny's question. Uh, if it's just your easy run day, I wouldn't think necessarily that you have, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to, to get past this, but I think a lot of people are stuck on the idea that they simply must eat before they work out in the morning or that they simply must eat in the morning period. And that's really not that true. I mean, there are a lot of good reasons to eat in the morning, but there are also some some good reasons, specifically the intermittent fasting craze, uh, which I think is legitimate and a valid thing to, to try. Uh, you know, th- that kind of questions the value of, of breakfast as, as soon as we get up, do we need to eat? And so I don't know, you know, certain runs and certain people are going to do better with food before that specific workout. Um, but I don't know. I, I would just make sure you were questioning that and make sure you've tried it without. You said that you were feeling sort of counterproductive when, uh, or, you know, not very productive when when you were eating the oatmeal. So I don't know. You could try it with nothing or something very, very light. See how that goes for the easier workouts. Uh, or you could you can try something like coconut water or fruit juice or even even just some other kind of fruit if you want. So that's that's my long two cents. Doug, is your trash man done? He's he's still here, but uh, we'll see what we'll see what happens here. There's a little bit of rumbling you might be able to hear in the background. That's okay. Um, yeah, so I actually read it a slightly different than you do, and that um, I think she's saying that she found that she was counterproductive after reading your article, that that the oatmeal wasn't serving her run, which, uh, like you said, it's it's not for especially for a three to four mile run. Um, but so I, the only difference, I, I agree what, with everything. Sorry, what was the article though? Oh, I don't know. Is this maybe a response to? Because uh, I've I've never recommended oatmeal in a run. No, that that she did oatmeal and you recommended dates. Uh huh. And after reading an article where you recommended dates, she realized that the oatmeal was counterproductive. Okay, that seems like the same uh, interpretation though. Oh. I don't know. Okay. That's okay. Well, <laughs> that, well, I guess, I don't know. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> the only thing I would, I agree with everything you said. The only thing I would I'd change is, um, is that if you're going out for three to four miles and uh, your oatmeal sits fine and it makes you feel good during those three to four where, uh, you know, not eating anything and just drinking um, juice or something like that, left you hungry or left you feeling low energy then to just kind of stick with what you're doing as long as it's not in it's as long as it's not making your run worse in any way so making you feel too heavy or too full um or not be a, not being able to push or run hard because you have a belly full of oatmeal right um but the yeah juice is a great one coconut water or something like that uh even you know half a banana or something like that uh would would do you better than the oatmeal i think yeah, good. So I don't know. Yeah, three to four is just even even if you're doing them fast. I don't know. You're going to be done that in in not too much more than forty minutes, and there just aren't that many foods that can really be benefiting you in such a short time. But, right. But yeah, you know, you know, if I mean, if you ate them earlier, then yes. If you ate them an hour ahead of time or two hours ahead of time, then I think they mm-hmm. can take it down. So, yeah. Or just anyway. I mean, you know, a lot of like in the mornings when I go out for my early morning runs, I just drink a little bit of water. Don't even eat anything. Right, and um, I think that I think that is a really good thing to try, Jackie. If if you yeah, can. 
and I think people you might have said this actually but I think people are are so concerned about that yes you know starting run on an empty stomach uh, but it's worth it's worth giving it a shot yeah, yeah. I, it's so we didn't mention this but I, I mean a lot of people I think who set off to lose weight and set off to do a, a daily run or a daily treadmill or whatever they're gonna do and they they're doing Gatorade during their thing and put back more calories than they than they burn during the run because they think they have to mm. because they've been mm. told that they need the electrolytes and whatever else on TV. So, uh, yeah, to get away from that, it, it's like, like eating that you need meat for protein. It's just one of these things that, that has gotten into our heads from lots of conditioning that, that we, if you're going to be doing working out of any type, then you, you need to be, you know, taking something for it, ideally paying for something for it and, and putting that in your body to make sure it goes okay. You know, a lot of marketing there. So, but all the people I follow on social media do it. <laughs> uh, then you should do it too. Without question. <laughs> no. All right. Next one. Kimberly says, I thought B12 had to be taken sublingual to work, i.e. for absorption. Absorption. Uh, can you speak to that? So that is a good question. I'm not sure the tone of this one uh, sounds like maybe she's she's uh, referring to something I said where, where I said otherwise. I'm not really sure. Um or maybe there's just I omitted that. I don't know. Or maybe she's talking about Complement, which is the product that I uh, co-created, which has B12 and DHA, EPA, and D3 in it. And the instructions of that are to spray it in your mouth or prefer- preferably spray it on food uh, and eat it that way. And obviously that's not a sublingual thing, although you can spray it sublingually if you want. Sublingually means below your tongue, by the way, for those who don't know that. Um, so anyway, my understanding of this is that B12 is often recommended, like in when it's in pill form, they say to take it sublingually, put it under your tongue, let it dissolve uh, to maximize the absorption. But if you think about most people, the way most people get their B12 is by eating meat and animal products, and people aren't dissolving their, their filet mignon under their tongue, by and large. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I mean, I guess you might be doing that with, no, actually, I, no, you wouldn't be doing that with anything. So... You might be you might be savoring some sort of cheese in your mouth and holding something in it. I don't know, but by and large, people are not doing that, and they get their B12 because they're getting plenty of it, and it it's just you know they don't need to maximize absorption because they're getting plenty of it. So that that is the other thing you can do is just make sure you're getting enough. Um, how much is enough? That is debated, and I actually saw a good talk on the Vegan Cruise, the holistic holiday at sea, where I was uh, about I don't know three weeks ago or so. And it was Juliana Hever, the plant-based dietitian, who was on our podcast with Ray Cronice uh, about a month ago. And uh, I saw this chart in her talk, so I Googled and found it on her site. So if you go to plantbaseddietitian.com, it's just all one word there. Dietitian has two T's in it, not a C. Um, Go to plant-based dietitian and just look for vitamin B12 recommendations or Google vitamin B12 recommendations, plant-based dietitian, or Juliana Hever. uh, And you will find this nice little chart she has about the the per, the way that the percentage absorption drops as you increase the dosage of B12. So if you only take one microgram of it, your body absorbs a relatively large amount compared to uh, if you take if you take a thousand micrograms of it. Right? Not not that your body absorbs more from the one microgram, but it absorbs more of that one microgram than you know the percentage of the thousand that it absorbs. So it, you know your body kind of adjust how much it is absorbing based on how much you have. Um, and that's kind of interesting, and it, it kind of plays into the into the decision. But her recommendations are 50 micrograms twice a day or 150 micrograms once a day 
or 2,500 micrograms once a week. Uh, you know, the, the, these are sort of similar to what you hear from others. Usually one people will suggest one of these or another, one of these approaches, either take this much daily or take this much, which is usually much more, more than like 10 times as much once a week. Um, you know, so you can do it, you can do it any of these ways. She does say at the bottom, and I, I have no reason to disagree with this, that high doses of B12 are safe and there isn't a tolerable upper limit that has been established. So the point of that is just that like B12 is one, certainly there are some vitamins that we need to be concerned about. We do not want to take too much of them. Um, but it appears that B12 is not one of those, that there hasn't been any, any science that I've seen that would say that, that too much B12 becomes toxic in your system. Um, I will say like with all things, I hopefully try not to take mega doses of them, right? Even if it appears that it is safe so far, uh, I just I just imagine that when you take a mega dose of anything or especially of many things, like in one of those typical multivitamins, mm -hmm. uh, it, it just, I mean, the amount of complexity of interactions of things that are happening in your system, it's just incredible. I've, there's a great chart in T. Colin Campbell's book, Whole, that just kind of demonstrates the complexity of these chemical interactions that happen in your body. So when you think about about putting even even you know a five or ten thousand percent of your of the vitamin C in there, it just seems like it's gonna be not the best thing. If you can avoid that sort of thing, B twelve is one I don't like to mess around with it. That's why we put a lot in complement. Um, but you know, I, I suppose one could reduce that amount if they did it sublingually. So anyway, the answer is yes. You will you will absorb more if you do it sublingually, but if it is more convenient or cheaper or some other reason for wanting not to do it sublingually, then you can you can get the same effect by taking a little bit more of it. So that uh, that is that. Anything to add there, Doug? I have nothing at all to add to that. Yeah, I don't know what. what yeah, that's not. <laughs> except I, you know, except that I'm really impressed. Uh, you have you've you've cited all these things in the last two answers that you have readily I, available I, to I you. I did research. I I prepared for an episode. And, I like it. And the next answer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I did more research for. Wow. I've maybe given up. Should... I, I maybe, maybe in the past, I, I would like to pretend that I just knew these things, so I, <laughs> I wouldn't tell you. So maybe I was preparing. I just wouldn't reveal that I had prepared. Uh, I just acted like it was just in this immense knowledge bank that I had in my head. Yeah, but I, you're like quoting people. Yeah, yeah I know. Professionalism. I like it. Yep. It's good, man. All right, next one, and this is our last one. We're keeping this episode short enough. These things can get out of hand sometimes. Remember, we used to do like 20 questions in, in these things. Yeah, and we'd have like a time limit, like two <laughs> yeah, minutes for a question. It might be fun one day if we stuck to a time limit and kept it to an hour. But anyway, uh -huh. this one uh, from Sarah, who says she is a fellow UMBC alum and now employee. Go Retrievers, which is good for today, Doug, as you know from following the basketball so closely this year. Uh, that UMBC made their way into the NCAA tournament, which hey. they have not done since I was in school there and I was in grad school there. Uh, it must have been 2000. You know what, Doug? This might have been the same year that I... As you going that, vegetarian? Yeah, yeah, it might have been during that NCAA tournament. I actually think it was one year earlier that UMBC was in. Um, I'm going to look this up really quick. I did not prepare this fact. <laughs> anyway, I'll look it up while I'm talking about other stuff. Um, anyway, they, they're in. They're a 16 playing a 1, so they're going to lose. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, should be fun. And they're playing the number one, the number one, number one of the tournament. The number one overall seed of the entire tournament, Virginia. Is, 
is Virginia. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Because everybody, my family are big Virginia fans and Davidson fans. And Davidson made it to the tournament this year, too. Yes. They they, they lost yesterday. I picked them in my, in my family bracket because they were local to us. But uh, that was a costly move on my part. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so... By the time this episode goes up, maybe maybe that result will already be in. But or maybe it'll be the first sixteen to ever beat a one. Who knows? Who? It's never happened before. <laughs> never happened. A lot of things in sports have happened. That one has not. There's been a lot of fifteens uh, beating twos, but but interesting one. I think people say it will happen because the way the tournament is changing and the the way there's this parity that's starting to exist and all these mid majors are good now. And I don't know. That that is the extent of my basketball knowledge. That was pretty good. That was yeah, nice. It sounded, it sounded good. You sounded like you knew what you were talking about there. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, okay. So anyway. Sarah. That's, Sarah's uh, question. Yes. Let me find it. Sarah's question. Um, uh, she says, I know consuming nuts and seeds is associated with a lot of health benefits, including increased longevity. Peanuts are so inexpensive compared to other nuts, so I'm wondering if you know whether peanuts are actually nutritionally inferior to other nuts or just cheaper because they are subsidized. Most days I consume a mix of whole almonds, peanuts, and pumpkin seeds, and I've started adding some flax seeds to some meals too. Okay, very good. So this is a great question. Um, I think it's pretty pretty common knowledge that peanuts are neither a pea nor a nut, right? Is that a Simpsons line, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was. Uh, but, but it is common knowledge that peanuts are not a nut. They're a legume. And... Uh, that makes them different. But don't forget, legumes are, are really good, right? Like they're one of the, the best things you can do as far as eating is, is get a good cup of legumes every day. Peanuts maybe don't, don't get a cup of them a day because they have more fat than others. But mm-hmm. um, but legumes are really good. So I, I wondered the same thing. I have kind of always, my, my answer to this question in the past has been uh, peanuts are still good. They're not like other nuts, and that's why they're cheaper, just like beans are cheaper than, than nuts. Uh, so... I don't know about subsidies or anything like that, but uh, they're good. The question specifically, and this is what I had to look up, is are they actually as good as tree nuts? Like, are can we are they actually like tree nuts in some way? Uh, so I looked this up, and uh, on Harvard Health Publishing, on their medical school blog, I found a, an article that says, peanuts linked to same heart longevity benefits as more pricey nuts. And it uh, goes in to discuss a survey where they, you know, had the longevity benefits and heart disease protection. I also looked up uh, in Dr. Greger's book, um, what's it called, How Not to Die, and uh, he there also talked about a nurse's health study from Harvard, which I believe is different from the one that I found online, uh, that talked about peanuts having the risk of uh, suffering a heart attack compared to w- in women compared to those, so I'll, I'll just read it specifically rather than trying to summarize it. Um, it is it is women at high risk for heart disease who ate nuts or a tablespoon of peanut butter five or more days a week. So nuts or that, uh, and this is five or more days a week, a tablespoon of peanut butter, appear to nearly have the risk of suffering a heart attack compared to women who ate a serving or less per week. Have the risk? Like have. half less likely? H-A-L-V-E, yep. Um, huh. And that, that's just one study, right? I mean, and we can't just, we shouldn't just cherry pick and say one study is all we need to Wait, know. Wait, how much, how much peanut butter? A tablespoon for five or five more days per week, yep. Which is which is my uh, if I'm trying to put weight on, that's one of my strategies. Get a tablespoon or two of nut butter just right off the spoon, and it is delicious and helps you put weight on. When this is kind of an f- interesting story, when Katie was um, when when our baby was very young and she was up all night nursing, she had like little snack stations all over the house mm-hmm. for wherever she was, 
and uh, it basically just turned into jars of peanut butter, and she would just take spoons <laughs> and just like eat, eat eat peanut butter from the jar. Like there were like six different jars of peanut butter throughout the house that she would just snack on throughout like a the day. Like, training around the <laughs> yeah, peanut butter, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's funny. anyway. That is quite funny. Well, there. So that was good. So so if if she was in danger of any heart disease, then it would have been halved. <laughs> Although there might be some, there might be uh, too many, too much. She's eating so much that she was causing artery yeah. clogging. Uh, okay, good. So anyway, I think I think the point is, yes, they're good. Uh, the fact that peanuts protect against heart disease kind of makes them then have a longevity benefit, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I don't think the mechanisms are the same by which they are protecting you as other peanuts. I don't know that for sure. But my sense is that it is not exactly the same mechanism. It's not identical to tree nuts, um, but very similar. And one reason I think it's not identical is Gregor mentions that there was a cross protection, uh, meaning if you ate both of them, tree nuts and peanuts, then it extended to uh, fibrocystic breast disease, protection from that for women. So, hmm. um, and, and that kind of goes into what I was going to first tell uh, Sarah, which is that like I don't think you should stop eating your flax seeds and pumpkin seeds and almonds and peanuts or she mentions all those things but i wouldn't i wouldn't say well peanuts are just as good so i'm just going to up my consumption of peanuts and cut out the almonds pumpkin seeds and flax seeds like those things are really really good flax seeds specifically uh, among those i think are one you do not want to cut out uh but uh, don't view peanuts as as a, a bad you know poor man's version of those things that, that isn't quite as good like it's they're they're great so they have this aflatoxin thing. People people get hung up on that and think the peanuts have some sort of poison in them, uh, but that is simply why they are always roasted. Why you don't or, or boiled, I guess, but uh, you don't find raw peanuts because of this this aflatoxin whatever it is a mold I believe that that grows on them. So anyway, uh, you got to eat them eat them roasted, cooked in some way, um, but do it eat them with with other nuts, not at the same time necessarily, just just in addition to other more you know things that are actually nuts um mm-hmm. but but no reason to think that peanut butter is a bad thing i think it's gotten a bad rap now there's terrible peanut butters in stores the ones that have that have sugar and oil and salt that are you know more like when you go get peanut butter in a store 90 percent of the jars there are this substance that is entirely different from what you get if you just grind peanuts in in mm-hmm. a vitamix at home uh it's just this creamy thing with the hydrogenated oils that that makes it very different uh and it doesn't really taste like nuts either. It tastes sweet and and extra rich and fatty and strange. So don't don't do that. Get natural peanut butter that is just peanuts. I think sometimes we do peanuts and salt because I like salty things, uh, but I try to keep it to a minimum. But you know, do that or eat whole peanuts. I'm finding more and more grocery stores, even like our local Ingles, where you can grind your own peanut butter. Yes, they do have that. I have never actually, I don't think, done that in a store. But I haven't either. But I've purchased the in-store ground peanut butter. Because oftentimes uh, they have like okay. stuff that they have pre-ground right next to it. Mm-hmm. I've done that. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone use that machine. <laughs> I don't trust how clean it is. That's <laughs> my problem. <laughs> no, I don't either. But um, hey, you've been in the South for a while. Yeah. Have you tried some boiled peanuts? Yes, I have, and I forget why or where, but I did, and they were okay. They were unremarkable. I thought. Mm. Like honestly, a lot of things from the south. Can we just say that? Can we, is that... <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, I probably like a lot of things in a lot of places, right? There's the traditional foods that 
have sort of a peasant heritage, which is fine, and there's lots of good ones, but the majority are just okay. You know, they're just and people yeah. have this have this sort of nostalgia or whatever for them. Right, right. I will I will definitely agree with that. But I actually quite enjoy boiled peanuts. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Nice little snack. I need to give another try. I need I like flavors on my peanuts. I need jalapeno flavors. Well, you can have, well, you can have salted. You I mean you can have like salted boiled peanuts or mm-hmm. uh, if you you know homemade boiled peanuts. I used, where I, my family my my mom's family used to make uh, boiled peanuts a lot, and they would do you know different things like um, oh what's the seasoning that is from Baltimore um, Old Bay Old Bay mm-hmm. Old Bay boiled peanuts and that kind of stuff, and they were that was good. Yeah, I I am a fan of those dry rubby things. Like I used to love some I mean, sunflower seeds. One of my uh, hundred marathon hacks. Hundred hundred marathon. <laughs> hundred mile marathon hacks. No, my in my hundred mile, I I sucked on sunflower seeds because I I like doing that. But I you know what? I don't like them as much as I used to when I was not vegan because they used to come. They still come in in barbecue flavor, ranch flavor, bu- hot buffalo flavor. <laughs> all these great flavors that uh, I, I no longer do. So now I just eat straight up salted sunflower seeds. There's even a pickle flavor sunflower seed that I, that is vegan and is not good. That, those all just sound repulsive to me. Yeah, I don't. I don't like this. I like this dry, dry roast rubs, whatever they are. But huh. anyway, um, I think that's it. Kind of a kind of a different Q and A's today. But I I like these. I think it's good. We had five. Good questions. We had five. They were well researched. Well researched. We I, we both learned a few things. Yeah, you're right. We did. Good. Okay. Well, that was fun then. Um, I hope people keep sending sending the questions in. And if you have one, where would you send it? Uh, I don't know. What is the address of our one eight hundred flowers dot com inbox? Is it support <laughs> at nomineathlete dot com? Yeah, support at nomineathlete dot com. If you have a question you want us to answer on on the air sometime, send it there and uh, our wonderful email support person mm-hmm. esther will uh will respond and and puts together a, a nice curated list for us uh that we that we go through and we pick the best of the best that's right so you gotta survive you gotta survive two rounds of edits to get yourself on the show <laughs> that's that's true <laughs> but if we did if we did a lightning round then maybe uh maybe we cut it down maybe we cut it yeah, down we yeah we could say anything that makes it makes it from esther's desk to ours is in the show Ooh, we should do that sometime. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right, good. Well, uh, this was fun. We got some basketball to watch. And maybe we should, uh, you know, normally during the World Series, we get together for a beer and watch watch the game. So maybe we should yeah. watch a watch a basketball game. That'd be fun, Doug. We should do that. I would like it. All right, well, we'll we'll check out the schedule and find the time to do that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Doug, for your for your knowledge, and uh, we'll talk to everyone soon. Sounds great. Okay. Bye.